out and do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have hurled insults in the face of the builders. It's an honest, transparent, very familiar prayer. A prayer and a plead. A prayer and a plead to do something that, well, do that for the... Do that for our enemies, Lord, but forgive our sins. But we don't quite hear that. In other words, what Nehemiah is doing is he's giving this prayer and pleading. We get it. It's very human, very natural. He's giving God an assignment. Here's what we want you to do, Lord. We continue. So we rebuilt the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. But Judah said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing and there is too much rubbish so that we are unable to work on the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see anything before we come upon them and kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who lived near them came, they said to us ten times, from all the places where they live, they will come up against us. So we hear this growing escalation this growing escalation both of threat and danger and an escalation of fear and uh, um, worry. And it's legitimate. It's legitimate because the people have had in their past a time when they were attacked and when uh, Jerusalem was brought to ruin. When the king fled, they captured the king and they killed his Sons before his very eyes. They came and they took people and moved them off to Babylon. And then they came back a second time. And they burnt and scorched and salted land and destroyed. And so they had this experience. They knew these stories. And now they hear all of this. And they see the Sumerian army is in the... Vicinity, within view, when Sambalat is giving these insults, they can see the army. I wonder if I were to ask you today, who are the Sambalats in our lives? Who are the ones that are mocking and insulting and ridiculing? It's not quite as obvious as it is for the people in Jerusalem with the army standing there. But if you're a follower of Jesus in the workplace or in school or in your neighborhood, you may have heard some of the uh, insults. Church? I don't need that. God? Well, where is he? Well, I guess that's okay for you if you need that. You can't really believe in God and maybe it even turns to people laughing. Naysayers. 
And maybe people saying, you know, w- with their, their, their education and so on, they're saying, well, but human beings are nothing but cells and DNA, and I call them the nothing butters. It's nothing but. And then we have, you know, on the news, we, we see stories and read stories and hear stories about churches and failing pastors, and it doesn't help that help us much either, and, and, and the ridicule and mocking is pretty, pretty easy. It's right there. The Sam Ballots. Well, maybe it's even self-talk. Maybe we wonder ourselves, like, what's the point? Why? I got to get up early. I got to shovel my driveway first. I'm just, what's the point? And, and anyway, change just takes too long, and I'm not seeing, and I prayed, I gave God this assignment, and, and I don't see it, so... And besides, I, I'm not, you know, a great person. I'm not perfect. I don't really have anything to... Is God going to want me? God doesn't want a, someone like me. Well, especially, you know what? It's just good not to get involved. Don't get involved. Don't get involved. Maybe Sam Bellet is self-talk. And our human experiences, they affect our internal lives. And that is what I call a spiritual attack. That is, the, the experiences of our life have an impact and a bearing in our inner lives. Affecting our thoughts, affecting our feelings. A spiritual attack affecting our relationships. And, and this kind of spiritual attack is something that can be general. It can cause fear in people and anxiety in people. It can cause people to feel condemned and put down. But it can also be very specific because it can also lead to people not following Jesus as Lord or following someone else as Lord instead. It can cause people to wander away from their faith. And perhaps we pray. Perhaps like Nehemiah, his response, perhaps we give God an assignment and if he fills it, we're good. And if he doesn't, mm. So I think if I was to pause here for a moment and say, what can we expect? What can we know for certain? What we can know for certain is that when the people of God begin to engage with the work of God, there will be spiritual conflict. There will be opposition. We can be certain of that. Opposition and conflict, spiritual, will be certain because there is an opposing force to the good and loving and gracious work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can sometimes be surprised by that. I can be surprised by that. I was talking to someone this week about some of the you know, challenges that, that we're going through in our life and, and how Kimberly sometimes needs to remind me that there's a spiritual battle and that there's a spiritual attack and that it's real and that there's opposition to the work of the Lord even in our lives or in the church. And I have to, you know, sort of slap my forehead. Yes, that's right. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 4. He said, Beloved, 
Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place or happening among you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. I talk about this, I, I, I consider this to be a form of what I would call spiritual aerodynamics. And I want to explain. And the pilots in the room are going to be able to explain this much better than I am, so I'll, I don't profess to be a professional pilot. But illustrating spiritual aerodynamics. Well, if this plane is parked on the runway and nothing is going on, it's not moving, stationary, things are calm. But when this plane starts to move and get going in this direction, there is something called relative wind, which is the force of wind that is parallel and opposite to the plane and the direction it's going. Relative wind. When it's sitting stationary, not there. But when it gets moving, there is opposition. There is this relative wind. When we, as a people of God, begin to move with God in the direction of God and into extending and expanding the kingdom of God, there will absolutely be resistance and opposition. I wonder if that is why, in fact, Jesus describes it at times as being the gates of hell, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And it's a particularly a, a, a strange phrase, but these gates of hell are like this opposition and they're trying to withhold and stop a, something that is moving and it won't happen, he says. So I think the real question then is if we can expect and anticipate that there will be spiritual opposition to the moving of God, as we have also remembered this morning through communion, then the question for us is, how do we respond to this existential reality of spiritual opposition or spiritual conflict? How do we respond? How did the people, as they were rebuilding, respond? So continue with me then in Nehemiah 4, verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. After I looked these things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of all the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your kin your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that their plot was known to us and that God was frustrated, had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Remember. Nehemiah stands up in, in the midst of, of everyone that was working, noble and uh, construction worker alike, and he says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. 
Remember and recall to mind the Lord God who is great and awesome. This is the impact, the importance of memory. Dr. Daniel Kahneman, who is an Israeli-American psychologist, a professor emeritus from Princeton, who's also a Nobel Prize winner and an expert in the area of memory, talks about the importance of memory and the fact that actually we are our remembering selves. That is, when we live our life and we have all these experiences in our life, the choices that we make and the direction we go are based on the memories and the recall that we have had. Not necessarily the details of the experience, but the memories guide and shape and direct our lives. We are our remembering selves. Do you notice what it says on the front of that communion table? And what's interesting is that, humanly speaking, it is natural to store negative memories out of proportion to positive ones. Negative is stronger than positive from a memory standpoint when we, when we store memories because we process negative things more deeply. And so what he is really doing here is he is encouraging, Nehemiah is saying, we need to be selective. We need to have a selective attention that even when there is opposition right in front of you, you need to be attentive and select and remember the Lord God who is great and awesome. We need to be intentional and select what it is that we're going to recall to mind. As Jeremiah says in Lamentations, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. And for us, what it means, if it is true that spiritual opposition is certain, then we need to remember and recall the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, remember Jesus. Recall Jesus. Allow the reality, the person of Jesus Christ to penetrate your inner life. To come to your inner life, your thoughts, your feelings, your insecurities, your anxieties. We continue. Verse 16. From that day on, Half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and body armor. And the leaders posted themselves behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. The burden bearers carried their loads in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and with the other held a weapon. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread out, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Rally to us wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night inside Jerusalem, so that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me ever took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon in his right hand. 
Remember and return, Nehemiah said. And so they did. They prepared and they proceeded. It sounds so simple and yet it is so remarkable. Mud bricks in ruin that they're using to rebuild the wall, an army within view, soldiers heckling and jeering. It may, perfumers and merchants and servants and nobles and everybody working together, they prepared and they proceeded. And that was the pattern. It was, it's kind of, to me, again, coming back to the airplane, it's kind of like they decided on the uh, angle that they were going to use in conjunction with the relative wind. They decided that they would make use of it. They would angle up, and they would begin to take off. Setting their expectations... Nehemiah and the people said, God is going to fight for us. Paul says in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, now it's starting to make sense. As you begin to go and you place your faith in the Lord. And that's really what divine community is. Divine community, the kingdom that is being built here is far more than the walls that are being laid uh, one on top of the other around the city. It is this community that is being built, this kingdom that is happening on earth as it is in heaven, that is a divine community where people are coming together, cooperating together, but with God, with Yahweh, with Yahweh as their leader. That's the particular kingdom. That is the community that is being built here, being resurrected and rebuilt. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your strength. But along with the testing will provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. It seems like the churches in the early days and the historical people of God, all faced testing and challenges and so on. And it's when they placed their faith in their leader who is God that they found their legs. And a community, a kingdom was being built. So then remembering is actually the fight. When he says, fight for your children, fight for your kin, do you notice that there's no actual physical, human-to-human combat. The fighting is in remembering, remembering the Lord, remembering God. The fighting is in being effortful in selecting that over what seems to be daunting in front of us. Remembering is the fight. Building is the fight. The currents of Nehemiah's day remain the currents of today. The current of being anti, being against, saying no, being angry. It's so easy, but being constructive and creative and building and coming together, especially when we're all different people, but coming together is in the glory of God and being that community where He is the head and all of us are following and being this wonderful, beautiful community and placing our faith in Him. That is is extraordinary. Friends, 
it is clear from this that there are two forces in our world. The spiritual forces of wickedness and that of good and of grace and of mercy and love. And we need to, it is imperative for us to recognize those voices. Those voices that are anti, those voices that are shaming and mocking and insulting. Those are not from the Lord. Paul writes in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free. There is no condemnation. Conviction, yes. Condemnation, no. We need to recognize the voices and be a community of gospel, which means good news. We need to be gospelers. The community of good news. The community that comes together and works together and follows Jesus and extends and amplifies His character of grace and mercy. Of a God who is for For God so loved the world. Faith that is based on human prowess, business acumen, physical power and strength is not really faith. But when we place it in the Lord Jesus Christ, in someone we cannot see, but who we understand is here by the power of the Holy Spirit, That is a courage and conviction, and that is a faith. And it doesn't require us to be mighty and strong and brave. It just requires us to be humble, as he was, and loyal, and trusting, and taking one step at a time together. I really appreciate Nehemiah's leadership here. I call it Christ-like leadership, because he got people involved. And I want to tell you that all of you, in some ways, are a leader of some sort. In all aspects of life, whether it is in your home or your neighborhood, in your school, where you go to work, followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus Christ, are discipling and influencing people as we go. We are having a bearing and an influence on people as we go. Uh, Youth pastors say uh, about children that things are caught before they're taught. So all of us, all of us are priests, if you will, ministers of the gospel, ministers of good news. All of us have a ministry where we live and work and play. And I appreciate what we were hearing here, how they were, with one hand they were holding their weapon and with the other hand they were doing their work and it's this idea of having two hands and with one hand we're holding on to our weapon, if you will, the scriptures. With one hand we're holding on to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're holding on to the church and the scriptures, and with the other hand, we're doing ministry. And that's the, that's the posture. We dare not let go of either. I've longed for the day when we could be gathered together in person and we could hold hands together. I know the introverts in the room, just anxiety level just went up. It was just an audible gasp. <gasps> but when we're together, 
remembering and recalling together, engaging with the Lord together and building his, his, his community, building his kingdom. A movement of people. I want to pause here for a Q&R, and then I'll wrap things up. If you have a question, you can text or email it to ask at Westview Church, or you can stand where you are. We'll bring a microphone to you if you have a, a few questions. If you know, uh, we're, we're tracking along in Nehemiah, and so if you've been reading ahead, that's great. Before, before Sunday, maybe you have a question, something that surprises you, a question that you'd like to ask. As someone who used to work for WestJet, thanks for choosing that instead of the other guys. Just had a okay. comment there. Well, Appreciate I, that I wasn't a lot. Gonna, I wasn't going to say anything. It means anything. the world to me, Gary. I, Thank I, you. I, I, this is not a brand thing. <laughs> <laughs> Some great questions coming in here as you take a sip. So this is fantastic. Uh, first one is this. I agree that at times there is spiritual opposition. However, I also believe that sometimes things are made to be spiritual opposition when it is just that life is hard or the events and consequences are there of poor decisions. How do we discern that? Right. So, yes, so there's, there's spiritual opposition, and then there's the natural uh, course of daily living. Uh, absolutely. And, and so uh, that's why I talk about general and specific. So um, there are, you know, there's natural laws. Uh, there are consequences. Um, if you uh, put your hand in the fire... Uh, you'll get burnt. It, 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 it's not really a spiritual battle at that point. It's just the reality. If you uh, kick the tire because you think it's flat and it's not, um, it'll hurt. And, and so there, there's a natural course of things. But when we talk about a spiritual battle, we're talking about uh, matters that cause things like fear or anxiety or things that cause us to wander away from our faith or cause us to wander away from being in community with followers of Jesus Christ or wander away from the Lord himself. And so those are things that we absolutely, the word there, I think it might even be in the question, is discern. And that's why I say one of the things we have to discern, for example, is the voices that we're hearing. If in your self-talk you're hearing, I'm no good, or I'm just a lousy parent, or I'm just a lousy person, you, I want you to know, I want you to hear me say this, that is not from the Lord. We need to be able to discern. Now, condemnation and conviction are different. If I, in my conscience say, you know, I really need to apologize to Lyle. I, I said some things, and I, I, need, I, I feel like I should go and apologize to him. That's conviction. And yes, I should go then and apologize to him. But discerning is such a good word. Yeah, I like it. I hope that, that begins to, to get at that. Mm -hmm. If my family is under physical threat, but Jesus does not condone violence, is self-defense an option? Okay. So if my family is under physical threat, uh, under physical threat, but Jesus does not condone violence, is self-defense an option? Right. Okay. So I've been asked this question quite a bit, um, being that I believe in a life of peace. So, um, and, and typically I don't like to entertain hypothetical questions. Um, my my brother has been in a situation like this when he was in Managua, Nicaragua during the Contra crisis. Um, so I know of many scenarios that are like this. Maybe this is a hypothetical one for the person asking. Um, 
But what I understand the Lord saying and doing, and even as we remember communion is, he gave his life. He put himself in the space. I believe there are a lot of options for us. So I believe, like I was telling my daughters when they were young, I will do everything to put myself in between harm and them. Because I believe in life of peace for them and for the other person. I don't think that killing is the only option. I think it's, it's a very limited way of thinking. And so um, I believe uh, that we need to put ourselves in places where we can... It, it happened to me in Toronto... Uh, when I was living there as a young man and I got involved, there was a gang beating up a kid and I got out of my cab at a stop on the road and I started walking over there yelling, hey, 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 and they, and they were like beating him, they were going to kill him because he was already on the ground and they were still going. And I started yelling, hey, 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 and the cab door was open and uh, they stopped, they started looking at me and they started coming towards me and this is in a sketchy neighborhood. They started coming towards me, the kid that they had been wailing on got up and managed to scamper away and all of a sudden I realized, dawned on me what was going on and I ran back to the cab I got in the cab and I said, hit it, hit it, hit it and he took off. A life of peace means you got to be creative, you have to get involved. But violence is a very short-sighted, it puts us on the wrong side of the cross. You want to turn to Nehemiah uh, verse 4 in our text. It'll help us. 4 verse 4? Uh, yeah, the verse 4 from our text this morning. Nice. I know. Nehemiah prays for God to bring bad things to happen to their enemies. Right. How do we reconcile this with the teachings of Christ in the New Testament? Is right. this Christ-like behavior? Right, right. That's good. Thank you for asking that one. Because I really wanted to, I wanted to, ah, uh, there was so much, right? But do you, do you kind of get, like I said, it's very honest, it's very transparent, isn't it also a bit problematic? Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their taunt back on their own heads and give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Like, do, do to them what happened to us. Do not cover their guilt. Well, if, if that's going to be his go-to, then what about the Israelites and their guilt? Like, don't cover their guilt. Like, forgive me, but don't forgive them. Do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight. What? It's a, it's a problem, right? It's honest and it's there and it's transparent and it's... But I don't, I don't believe that, that we're supposed to emulate this prayer either. This is real. It's honest. And yeah, he's digging in and so we can be honest with the Lord. But if we're going to ask for the Lord in that prayer, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yeah, so I, I, I like that. I, I think this should cause us to pause and go, okay, David does it in the Psalms too, right? Well, just kill those guys. I just want to see blood. And then in Psalm 139, he finally gets to search my heart, see if there would be any grievous way in me, and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's kind of cathartic. Yeah, it's good. Thank you for that question. They keep coming. Prepare and proceed. Sounds like prayer and action are both needed to build God's kingdom. So how do we discern when to prepare and when to proceed? Mm, nice. 
This is good. Thank you. Yeah, prayer and proceed. So prayer and action. And so we kind of begin to wonder because a lot of, there's a lot of prayer in Nehemiah. So what's going on with prayer? Like what I also said was it seemed like Nehemiah was giving God an assignment. I'm going to pray here, God, go do this, you know. But what's happening in prayer? In prayer, in our conversation with the Lord, the prayer is shaping us and it's bringing us into relationship and it's influencing and shaping us, which necessarily means then action. Your ears will hear a word saying this is the way, walk in it, as you turn to the left and to the right. And so I believe that we need to be praying. And praying means not just talking, but listening and hearing. Because we understand from the New Testament that the Holy Spirit's will is to lead us and to guide us. And yes, that means with Scripture, but that also means dynamically speaking to us and giving us thoughts and ideas and to lead us and to guide us. So we hear and so we pray and we hear. Be quick to listen. And slow to speak. Yeah, I, I like that prayer and preparation. I, I, did I did I respond? Did I get the question right? There's lots more. I think okay. we can go okay. with, and, right. and we can always respond as okay. well. I'll wrap up with one more as we okay. transition here. So grab a sip. But when looking at how God is always equipping us for what we need, how nothing is too much for us to overcome, how do we balance having total trust in God? and doing the physical things that need to be done. And, and here's the illustration from our text. In Nehemiah, they never let their sword down from their side, even when going for water, but all the while trusting God to protect them. Right. So how do we balance having total trust in God and doing physical things that need to be done? Right. Yeah, it's good. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart, So when, when Todd says we're going to have an annual general meeting and there's going to be business, that's also worship. We're loving him even, with our minds. We can come together as a priesthood of all believers and talk together and discuss together and think together and, and hear advice and, and, and consultation from each other and be informed and love him through the way we think. And so that's a part of this. And how do we balance between faith in God and the acts that we do? I think all of it is faith in God. So today, we aren't necessarily carrying a physical spear or a sword. But what does the New Testament call the sword? What? Yeah, the Bible, right? So we could say that uh, we're going to, with one hand, we're going to hold on to the Bible, we're going to hold on to the Lord, we're going to hold on to the community of God with one hand, and with the other hand, we're going to do ministry in our communities, in our workplaces, and in this church. We're going to do this together. I'm not going to let this go. Is that demonstrating faith? I think it is. But here's the other part. We're going to make mistakes, because we're not perfect. So we're going to, in all being true-hearted, after consultation, we will take steps in faith, believing, and maybe we, we make a mistake. 
because we're not perfect and we didn't get that quite right. We're, we're expressing our faith, but it wasn't uh, quite right. And so we have this community of grace. And that's the part that shapes what this community of Christ followers is like. That's an attribute or a character. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Take up my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And as a community of followers of Jesus, that's not a part we do very well often. We rather, it's easier to judge than to say, grace abound. I messed up. Todd says, grace abound. We messed up. Grace abound. So we step out in faith, faith believing. And sometimes we, we don't get it right. So we're so grateful for the love and the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to invite the music team to come back onto the platform. Thank you for your questions. I, I, I just, I know it takes us a bit longer. Hanukkah, our child and family pastor said it's fine. They've got lots of material for the kids up there. But I appreciate your questions. It's good. It's good questions. And rummaging around on these things. Uh, friends, I, I, I feel like we need our eyes open to see when there's spiritual opposition or spiritual conflicts to see and see that a bit differently. To see it for what it is. To acknowledge and be aware that it's there. The spiritual battle. And to acknowledge and see, oh, that's what's going on here. To see it. To see it and understand. I think, friends, this is a choice that we have to make. We, we need to choose a side. This might sound a little binary, but it's true. There's spiritual forces of wickedness, and then there's Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And we need to decide what side we're going to be on. Are we rebuilding the wall? Or are we with Sam Ballot to his crew, shaming and mocking and insulting and laughing? We make a choice, and then we live accordingly. We speak words of life, not words of condemnation and insult. We're creative and constructive, and we lean in, and we are for, not against. Someone says, well, are you against this? I will tell you what I am for. Because God is for. So we could choose. Not that we agree. I think we need to learn to disagree better. When we come together and we disagree, okay, that's the start. Now, how do we do that better? Harmony, not uniformity. And friends, finally, recall the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Recall and remind each other. Remember Jesus. God is like Jesus. Remember Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. We're followers of, remember Jesus? Remind each other about Jesus. And when people come in these doors or they come into your home or they hang out with you in your neighborhood, you're extending and amplifying the presence, the character, and the nature of Jesus. Because friends, brothers and sisters, you, your life, and this community may be the first gospel that people are reading. And may it be the gospel and the good news of Jesus.